I saw a really interesting imp- implementation or an attempt of an implementation of jet of chat G- G- GPT. Um, I saw this guy and he was putting together something where you would put in a library of PDFs and then based on that library of PDFs, you could then train AI to answer questions based on that. I think that's really interesting because say you could put together a library of, of trusted PDFs, stuff of, of research that you think, okay, this is fairly reliable. And then if you want to ask questions of it later, you could work on that corpus rather than the mysterious corpus that chat GPT is working on as well. I thought that was really, really cool. Like imagine your Zotero library or your paper pile library full of stuff, which you think, okay, this is interesting stuff, but then you can ask questions of your own literature rather than the broader literature. Because we all know when you ask questions of, of chat GPT, um, it's it's good, but it's not always right. Well, it so spends I, I thought, a lot of time uh, making shit up. Um, so that's obviously not ideal, and that's why everyone was so angry with uh, Galactica um, previously, like a few months before the yeah. uh, the Chat GPT explosion. Everyone was very negative about Galactica because they put in a question and it came out with an answer that was nonsense (laughs) so the the problem with that of course it's not that large language models make up nonsense we know they do think we know that it what it's trying to do because it's a series of sort of semiotic associations made over time a lot of the time what it comes up with is fucking nonsense right it's just predicting the next word based on the previous word and it's kind of mad libsing its way through uh, what would ostensibly be a, a sentence. But if you build one and it's sold on the basis of this is going to be good for knowledge generation, uh, it's really bad if it makes shit up. Um, so I think it was more the problem with the framing and the, uh, then everything got, uh, got a bit hostile after that. Um we are obviously we are we are yet to see there are so many shoes that are waiting to drop when it comes to elements like this. So it's going to be really really interesting in three to six months, about the middle of this year, um, to see what people are doing with these facilities. I suppose um, there's a lot of uh, uh, exaggeration and. Um, rending of cloth, etc. happening right now. Um, and I think that if you want to stay smart about this, you I, I think you want to see how really inventive, talented people have chosen to define areas of this. And your example just then I haven't seen, but I'm not surprised that that's the first sort of wave of how this works. So you can you could test it. You could test it, of course. You can fill it up with uh things that you've written previously. You should. You should we should uh fill it up with Dan's oxytocin Malone's and then you can ask it about uh what's happening to everyone's favorite hormone. Um the 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 nice thing about the nice thing about oxytocin of course is that no matter what you put in, it'll be more plausible than most of the literature. So maybe it'll make its way up to something that's actually credible. 
Speaking of implausible, did literature, he just ignore this now? This? I hope everyone heard that. He just he's just so immune. <laughs> he's so immune so... to to me complaining about this that that he just he just <laughs> steamrolls right over the top of it. Doesn't even say no, that but... was mean. Doesn't even say no. How could you? Oh, it's part, it's part, it's part of the course. But th- th- this is perfect because again, without any rehearsal or planning whatsoever this is actually brought up something i did want to talk about which was this um this homeopathy article oh i've I've missed that (laughs) you missed this finally homeopathy has a use and this was a really cool article which is co-authored um by by former guest uh kristen senani um who was one of the co-authors for this particular paper and this performed a it was a meta-analysis combining effect sizes from various homeopathy articles. Well, hang on, and hang on. I can, I can guess what this is about. All right. I can guess what this is about. So, uh, Chris is very interested in publication bias, uh, and she's a very good statistician. She's very grounded at the same time, quite talented. Has a really, really good combination. Um, I think she's treating this as an example of if all we're going to do is farm bias from our literature because we have an intervention that literally runs on magic, what can the substructure of the positive results within this field tell us about how things are biased elsewhere? Bingo. But basically, that was basically Too fucking easy. Now, that is not... <laughs> that is not... I have heard people... I don't know if that's ever been done before. I have certainly had a discussion in my life where someone floated that as an idea but uh execution is 99 percent of everything so it sounds like she's executed on it good for her this was really interesting because the the summary or i think the, the median or the mean effect size was was 0.36 and i like this a lot because it's essentially magic it's essentially all bias whenever we're assessing m- most research within the biobehavioral sciences at least it's plausible any effect that you get, it's going to be a mix, unless you're taking certain measures, it's going to be a mixture of bias and a true effect. And it's really, really hard to actually pull these things apart. So to go to a research field, which is pure bias, there's, there's nothing there. It should all be around zero. And to actually see what sort of effects that you get, it's a really cool control for how to actually assess bias in research. And it's one of those ideas that I'm like, oh, well, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it's such well, a good I'm, idea. Like I said, I'm certain that people, I've, I've had a conversation about, I wish I could remember who and where. Maybe someone who's heard this will be like, oh, I talked to you about that in 2017. But talking is just some shit. And this is, this is the real thing. Um, it, is, it is a great idea. Um, and, you know, by definition, an effect is uh, a true effect and some shit. And people like us have always complained about the the control that you have over complicated ideas when you stack abstractions. So let's just take, without wanting to get too far into the details and pull the ass off eighty five percent of people to the uh, the benefit of fifteen percent of people. Let's say, for instance, that we we take a an EEG measure. Um, which we know is by some process is conflated with some attentional process. And then let's say we narrow that down to a region or a number of channels. 
and let's say that we assume that that attention uh, is some kind of directed attention that can be uh, put onto uh, task A versus task B. And then let's assume that the difference within those signals is indicative of some difference in the, the core gross neurology underlying an attentional process. It all sounds perfectly reasonable, but there are actually lots and lots and lots of stacked up assumptive elements or something like that. And the closer you get to anything that is dealing with intact people, the further away you get from the fidelity of the measurements that you use. There's a point in time where you you are almost forced to assume, operationalize, or as otherwise make a leap of logic that you can't necessarily prove. And the problem with this is a lot of the time you're going from very, very complicated macro processes through an environment built out of cells and ions to nerves to patterns or subsystems within a larger network that are made out of those nerves to observable macro phenomena to the measurement of those phenomena to the implications of the measurements and it's always difficult it's always a lot and a comparison with magic is therefore very instructive <laughs> Because <laughs> it is. I mean, I don't know, of course. This is this was like an old saw. I was sick of people complaining about homeopathic stuff 20 years ago. Because it was and has always been something that is just, like, it has no biophysical basis whatsoever. Make it, making it only slightly worse than a lot of biobehavioral research. <laughs> just, just a bit worse. Um, but that's yeah. some, and sometimes, sometimes really only slightly. Because there's no... It's it's the, the the thing is it's an idea from the 19th century, um, which is basically uh, never really rises above the level of metaphor. Is uh, it it requires um, it requires things to have a a, a memory. The memory is is, is uh, it's not a process. Uh, it's not a quantity. It's not built out of anything except a concept at that particular point. The water has a memory. So what do we do while we <laughs> same way you make anyone remember anything? You shake it around a lot. <laughs> so God, God knows, Dan. He's like you now know raising two children. If you want them to remember something, the easiest way, of course, is to shake them. Um, so the, the 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 thing is, obviously, obviously that's silly. And people were still dealing with the the long tail of vitalism and other silly ideas about the innate power of nature, or the you know the the scientifically observable correlates of the soul and horseshit like that in in the 19th century. But nothing ever rose up to replace this, and they're still coasting by on the idea that there is thinky water, and the metaphor is perfectly sufficient, and all you need to do is uh, shake the baby, and the memory of the water will be maintained over time. And that's why it's really fucking boring, because there's no... There's nothing interesting that can come of that idea. I might as well say everything that's yellow makes you angry, uh, and they and then go around administering ecological momentary assessments uh, of people who are near yellow things, come up with different uh, public health ways of measuring things from people's phones, doing sentiment analysis from cities that are more or less yellow, 
uh, finding out whether or not people who drive big Caterpillar tractors are shittier than other people and they're claiming it's the yellow of the tractors <laughs> and not the fact they have to, I'm sure someone's working yeah, on not this. the fact they have to work a 12-hour shift for um, far too close to minimum wage for skilled operation of equipment. Um, but no, it's the yellow, obviously. And the mechanism behind that, you know, if you just maintain that over time, maybe, maybe, maybe it changes over time. Maybe the observations are sufficiently strong where you recast the biophysical basis of why you are doing something in the first place, and then you make progress on that. Um, but it's very unlikely because, because the way that we structure empirical information over time is very noisy in many respects. The closer you get to larger macrophenomena, there is a trade-off between precision and a kind of, I suppose, implications for something that we understand on a behavioral level. And there's very little work in building better tools in a space like this. So it would be very interesting. It's very interesting to see homeopathy research. This is the last thing I'll say about it. It's very interesting to see research and see the, the kind of lack of imagination that goes into it in the first place. Because it's all basically quasi-medical. Unless you have, like, very occasionally you get some minimally famous psycho with Z-grade notoriety who starts making claims like the uh, uh, the guy Montaigne or whatever he was 15, 20 years ago and making absurd claims about how he discovered the, the basis of how well this worked and it turned out that all the research was terrible. But you don't see that. It doesn't have... No one, no one who's into uh, this as a, a, a system of kind of managing reality is really interested in how it might work. They're just interested in going around and proving things. Um, but shit, it's so fucking passe to complain about this now. It's so done. Do you not remember things from like skeptical societies and shit like that about the year 2000? And people getting all upset about this. There'd be some talk, some lecture, some book, some forum, someone going nuts about it all over again. Um, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just the same reason that like a lot of organized skepticism leaves me cold. It's like, well, we all agree that this is, we all agree that this is a complete waste of time. Yes, we do. Now let's talk about how it's a complete waste of time. I don't want to talk about how it's a complete waste of time. Yeah? yeah. I don't know. Look, I'm an adult. Allegedly, I don't go to meetings called "fuck Pokemon." Why the phenomenon of pocket monsters and the professor, what's his name, who who fucked the kid's mum, is is what? is a bad idea. I don't attend anti. I don't attend anti Pokemon meetings because I don't like them. I don't. Yeah. I don't think about them at all. Yeah. But imagine going to a, imagine going to a meeting like anyone who writes with a red pen is a subhuman, and we just talk consistently about how. Uh, how, how many better points there are in favor of blue versus black. This is what it sounds like to me. And yeah, it doesn't gain much. No, it does, it, does, it does almost nothing for me. I mean, it's just, I think it's something that people, the younger men in particular, they get their little empiricism on and they get all angry about it, but it doesn't last. Um, you very quickly go, well, yeah, I know that's not a thing. And I, I respect people who are out on the wall continuously pushing back against this stuff. Um, 
mainly because I think, I mean, obviously there's an enormous amount of people in the world and an enormous amount of corrective information needs to be applied to even very, very simple things. So yeah, you could bang on about it forever. And I admire their patience more than anything else. It's not the fact that it's, um, you know, that you can, you can kick it down the stairs, prove that it doesn't work. You can, uh, question the nature of the people who are interested in it, who are either like they're either willing idiots or they're making money. And that's pretty much the end of the story. But who has the patience? I used to get really angry though, because, um, but back in Australia, when you paid for private health insurance, yeah. which, which most people did, yes. most health insurance places included homeopathy. And I'm like, why am I paying? Obviously my premium is more expensive or my monthly insurance is more expensive because of people who are using it to claim homeopathy. And that, that pissed me off. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, if there's one thing that continues to annoy me here, it's the fact that there is homeopathic medicine salted through the pharmacy. So rather than being in its own separate special section really? with the fucking Harry Potter books and the Pokemon cards and other shit that doesn't exist, right? It's not in the fiction section. It's mixed in through everything else. So if you go look at the pain relief, you'll find a big bottle of Tylenol, and within the same section, you'll see the magic lactose pills. And that wow. gets under my skin every single time. If you go to a hippie supermarket, there'll be some, who will support your immune system under all possible circumstances. Oh, shit. And it will be, like, up at the counter. So... The reason that I think that it doesn't change is simply for the fact that whoever's selling this, whoever's marketing it, or whatever it's part of, you know, is a big business and they have a relationship with pharmacy whoever's. And it's completely uncontroversial to sell because it kind of hurt me one. There's a difference between not hurting and helping. Yeah. No, but it does. But we yeah, no, no, this. this is, I mean, directly, Daniel. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. not everyone's going to Steve Jobs themselves out of existence. Yeah, I do. I do get it that, that obviously alternative magic solutions push out potentially real ones, yeah. right? But in the short term, what they're concerned about is if you take this, if you take this, is it going to be a problem? Is it going to actively do something to you, right? That's what they're concerned about. No. And they're also presumably making great margins on it because these things that I saw, this rescue remedy thing and some market called fucking hemp sandals and sprouts or, or some shit uh, about a month ago and i saw this next to the counter and the thing that i noticed was it was 33 dollars reduced to 28 um <laughs> but there was only 30 doses in the packet that's a that's just, a dollar a pill yeah that's yeah. that's a whole fucking dollar a pill so it's all margin it's all profit almost huge A new form of research fraud has dropped, and this is one of those ones that it's not a pair of sneakers, Daniel. Uh, yeah, it's just a fraud two point new, new this fraud is has dropped. Got one. New fraud has dropped. Like, this is one of those I, ones I where I've, I kind of have I've a heard feeling. Of this. Go pro probably no. Look, this is one of those things that I've I've had the feeling that this is probably going on. But it was interesting because this is the first time I've actually seen someone write about this. This was a letter. Uh, this was published in the British Dental Journal. Not a journal I frequent often, but it, it came up. And this was talking about the issue of researchers in the global north 
who are co- purposely collaborating with researchers in the global south just to get free or, or reduced APCs for their for, for their um, for their papers. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, this is a variation of an old scam. Uh, pick the European country where you know that having an involved researcher will uh, will pay full ride for anything, and it will uncontroversially be handled by uh, the government or the, the, the Department of Education or the library or whatever else. Uh, and, and and pull them in. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not at all surprised by that. Uh, it feels very patronizing, doesn't it? You know. Well, it was written from from someone from from the global south who was actually who who was saying like this is um yeah because you you have researchers here from the global south who who essentially are contributing and who are just putting their name on papers and and they're, they're benefiting and researchers from the global north who are sort of shortcutting the system um but yeah, i mean it, it is a bit it is a bit patronizing but it was written by someone who was from the who was from the global south or at least that's where their their affiliation was well yeah i mean you know it feels like an extension of uh you know, if we're going to study the last group of hunter-gatherers left in Tanzania, everyone flies in from somewhere nice, uh, you know, got all their new LL Bean shit and a nice, nice fresh notebook and a satellite phone and they uh, hire a... Hire some, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a pitho and a fucking musket and uh, hire, a, cu- hire <laughs> a couple of dudes uh, to show them what's up. Uh, walk walk yeah. in, um, get get someone to sign the forms, do all their stuff and leave. And like, wow, you don't re- figure there would be better for your work and the people where you're from if you actually have some kind of work collab for that? Like, why would that, why would that not be an opportunity to like network and help people? It's like everyone wins, but people don't because they're just fucking selfish. Um, anyway. My problems with uh, imperialist anthropology aside, what do you say? <laughs> Did you say that next year, SIPS uh, is in Nairobi? Yes, I did see. I the did next- see that because um, because uh, I think Pat Forster is um, has had, had a hand in organising it. That's great. I'm going to go. Good. Take the family down. Excellent. Um. I yeah, haven't made those in a couple of years because it's literally not my job anymore. But I think it's much more interesting than having it in Frog Poke, Arkansas. You know, <laughs> this is a great move. It's, it's such a good move to to, to have this. This is I, I can't think of a conference, at least for the conferences that I regularly go to, that has been in the global south like ever. This is a, this is such such a good idea. Let, so, um, well, you know, I'm excited about. It. Please, the global 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 South is, yeah. I I'm never sure what people mean by the designation, and you presumably we throw out to do that uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Auckland, Wellington, Cape Town, etc. Um, and think about you know what what people obviously mean. Uh, I love to if you're going to go. Um, I've heard such good things about development in Kenya for a, like over like a decade now and I've never had the opportunity to go it finally got to a point in my life where I had both the time and the money to see all the, the shit that I always really wanted to see and I still haven't been to Central America 
at all. Haven't you? No, I haven't. And you, you, you're kind of close ish. Well, yeah, Dan, but I'd spent several years here where the, due to my immigration status, it was not possible for me to travel at all. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was stuck here. So I've seen an extraordinary amount of America. <laughs> uh, I've, I've been to Canada to renew my visa three separate times. Um, yeah. So I know, I know a lot of post offices in Ottawa, for instance. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can find them in the dark. I saw a, a very interesting hypothetical question put uh, forward by Neuroskeptic, I think it was today or yesterday, and uh, Neuroskeptic asked, if AI was able to perform peer review to the same standard as a very, very good peer reviewer, would you be okay with this? Would you be okay with your papers being reviewed by an AI peer reviewer? What do you think about this? Hmm. Um, it's a very interesting question. It's not the writing of it. It's the reviewing of it. A lot of people, um, a lot of people are immediately outraged, uh, about the production of text. Um, I'm not ready to be outraged about the, yet, that yet, because I've seen the text that's being produced and it's, it's talk shit. Uh, we already have tools for suggesting what we do next. I mean, I've seen so many people paraphrase something, you know, you put in a paragraph of this, you know, I want to say essentially the same thing as that, but with this, then they, if they put it in the bottom of the text document and they color it in a different color, uh, and then they capture all the points from that and then they write them all down again, right? Yeah. Like, congratulations, you'll meet chat GPT. Um, likewise, there's lots of tools now for completing your sentences when it gets to mm -hmm. sort of like halfway through. Like, congratulations, you're like 2% GPT. You're skim chat GPT. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, can't I can't believe it's not AI. Um, so the idea of reviewing it is is a very it's a very interesting one um it would be invariably starting with something that was based on either the computational reproducibility or the citation structure um there's almost no chance that it would be able to, at least like in right now or in the reasonably near future, pause and understand the concepts involved sufficiently to be able to do that. As in, it can't read the paper and tell you if it's any good or not. Yeah, because we're not talking about we're not talking about a degree of like how much do you understand it. It's more like how much uh, how how closely do the associations present match some associations that have already been written down elsewhere. That kind of shit. So it would have to be just by virtue of the 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 way that that question should be understood is probably in terms of uh, is it is it structured correctly. Other things that are cited saying the things that are. You know, it reference seventeen supports this. Does it? Um, you know, or it would be something like a a, a very promiscuous kind of stat check, or it would be of something that would be really interesting. Would be the ability to ingest data and then turn that into uh whatever happens next. You know, the results that are in text, 
the, res the results that are provided in supplementary or appendix sections. Um, I don't have a problem with it in principle, but I think that in the way that it should be understood, I, I'm probably imagining a fairly light-on version of that. Even that would be extremely difficult. The ability to read the whole thing and say whether or not it represented anything accurate or useful or too speculative or whatever else is quite a long way away still. But say that say that it was there. Say that the the ability was there. Would you be okay with this? Yes, I think so. Um, what is lost? Uh, what is lost by removing people from that? Look, you have to. Any question when people talk about peer review, they always make the same mistake, and it's conflating their experience of peer review with peer review more generally. It's something that people say they understand. It's something that people feel like they have a good intuitive knowledge of, when in reality that's tied to a subsection of journals within a subfield. So much is published now, especially published for money, if we're talking about uh, Frontiers and MDPI are both very, very big now. And because they're both real enough to count as papers, quote-unquote, um, there's a huge global impetus behind both of those. And the things that you see, if you see things that are easily correctable errors by someone with a minimal amount of knowledge in the field, you know that whatever peer review is, that is total dog shit. You know, that someone's just looking at it and going, that's an interesting series of words in order. I like how the A's are all curly, except it, right? Or, God forbid, even worse, someone's actually doing a proper peer review and the editor's basically thinking, well, my remit is to accept as much as possible, so unless they're actu actively calling for insurrection in this paper, you know, or they're firing the mice out of a cannon, I'm just going to say yes. So, normative peer review is obviously... it almost has to be slipping at some kind of standard level because otherwise we wouldn't have this psychotic explosion of uh, sort of silver OA journals, or are they gold OA? Ah, oh, fuck, who cares? They're, they're, they're paid open access, allegedly real journals that have good stuff and bad stuff mixed together in, but the amount of, the amount of publications that they're supporting right now is only tenable um, if the papers aren't very good and the peer review is even worse. So, you may think, oh, well, but my fancy papers go to a fancy place to be reviewed by people that I've probably met or people from labs or people that I've met or people who are within my community. That's not everyone. Mm. And also, I don't think that's normative anymore. I think that is some kind of walled garden us peer review that is not reflective of how everything else is working. So there's obviously, I mean, there's so many sort of stochastic elements when you it comes to who's going to be involved in something like this in the first place. So one benefit that you obviously have over and above everything else is the fact that it's going to be the fucking same. The procedure is literally identical. Um. 
I wonder, dude, like testing it would be really interesting. You'd say you put the same paper in twice. I wonder if it would come out with the same review each time. I don't know enough about how it works. If, well, I mean, maybe you chat maybe, GPT, you're get maybe you simulate it. Maybe you ask it a thousand times. Find out what the normative response is. I don't fucking know. I don't know. Um, so it's there's lots of pieces. That's lots of pieces to that question. It's actually really underspecified, and that's why it's fun to talk about. Because I like this idea of of using it as like to augment like sort of like a super stat check. That that is appealing. Yeah, it's still fucking hard. Yeah, I was saying it's easy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, things like things like that start with um, things like that start with literally the the kind of like back end of what a paper is. So the, the formatting standards, the encoding that's used, which the ability to read the fucking thing in the first place, because we're still obsessed with the manky PDF being a fucking <laughs> manky horrible document. Things are Satan. Was you know you're just adding a huge machine readable step that's in the way. Now that's obviously not the case everywhere, and as a maintained standard of uh, XML papers that make it easier to understand that. But shit, Dad, we're not even at the place where everything that's being submitted to a lot of journals is machine readable in the first place. So the whole idea of we're going to get let an AI loose <laughs> on it to have ideas about what it can read, a lot of them are probably going to fucking read in the first place. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, people thinking, well, it's all come so far, it's all so amazing, I've just started paying attention to it, everything is different now. No, that's the social response to something that's very obviously been coming for a while. And there's things that are better or worse about how the functions of GPT-3 are different to fucking two and a half or two or 2.2 or whatever the fuck the versions have been, yeah? But it's a point in a continuum. And there's also a point where it can't actually get a lot better because I think they're running the risk now uh, of the corpus of everything that's available to be read actually being read. <laughs> Reach the limits, yeah. So I don't know how much... Uh, how much further up the kind of scary stairs that uh, large language models will be able to get to a certain degree. There's no reason not to be cautious about where they can be deployed, what they can do. I think the whole sort of misinformation on demand aspect of this and the perpetuation of all the shitty things that people write down, the idea that you could teach a machine to be shitty is uh, reasonably straightforward and reasonably easy to understand, you know it's like watching children model each other's terrible behavior. It is, I, there are elements, I think there are elements of being able to do that where it would be incredibly valuable. So let's just say that we restrict it to triaging 10 to 15% of things where it can very quickly and very accurately make the statement that whatever's in this paper in the first place is a bunch of shit. Right. And however, that might be like a failure of computational reproducibility, a uh, the different references to the same uh, quantity that are different within a document, um, authorship fraud, uh, incorrect citations, um, editorial uh, 
editorial or peer review misconduct, etc. How's it going to catch authorship fraud? A lot of that stuff. A lot of that stuff is to sorry. How's it going to catch authorship fraud? Um. Well, the the a, a case of a few weeks back now, but people are just writing other people's names on the fucking document and publishing it because they're reasonably famous and it's helping them get in and they just use a fake email associated with that person and hope they uh, never find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a half-decent system would find all the people involved in that, look at the sort of semantic distance between it, figure out where the person's actually publishing. You're like, hang on a second. She's a neurophysiologist, but this paper is on clathrate structures and concrete. You know? flag it. Yeah, should be able to pick that shit up pretty easily. So that's how it would work with something like authorship fraud. But obviously, I'm spitballing here. Okay. All okay. of yeah, those, all of those abilities to it's like everything that doesn't go into the formal peer review system. If we accept the fact that one is necessary at all, everything that goes into it. Needs to be read, needs to be triaged, needs to be uh, understood by someone. All of that is time. All of that time is money. Um, if you throw 5 to 10% of the inputs out, that's, that's a huge win. And that's all it would have to do to begin with to start being valuable. Of course, anything like this, any tool, you immediately end up in an arms race. What I mean by that is you put your, you, you know, you've plagiarized something. You put it in a plagiarism detector. You figure out what it figures have been plagiarized. You change those words. You put it back in. It finds less, but still some. You change those bits. You put it back in. Eventually it says 4% plagiarized. And you think, oh, that's good enough. I know this journal will take up to 30. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Jesus Christ, on a sort of a, a, a broad level, how fucking bad is a standard if we say 20, 25, 30% plagiarism is fine? Even if you copy entire chunks of the method section directly one versus the other, now, I don't think that uh, things that happen exactly the same way should be described exactly the same way. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Or Methods shouldn't be included in this. Yeah. But let's say it's let's say it's other let's say it's other sections. But also in general, a lot of the time, it depends on the field, of course. But a lot of the time, the method is a lot shorter than some of the other sections. Yeah, right. And it's particularly introduction and discussion, but also the results to a certain degree of any given investigation, or God forbid, something where this format made absolutely no sense whatsoever. So a lot of review papers, editorial shit like that, I had problems with plagiarism in the past. That's just fucking plagiarism, right? Because it's just words on a page. It's not words on a page designed to describe a controlled observation. Right? Uh, if you're copying that, then you probably shouldn't. But also, the journal's not checking at all is pathetic. And even more pathetic is having some 25-30% threshold. Where you're like, oh, you only copy 29%. I'm sure it's fine. Jesus Christ. Yeah, waded through. Is that yeah, it? Terrible. Is that it? Honestly. Um. Yeah, I feel myself about to turn negative, Dan. Are we think we're being particularly unfocused this episode. That's all right. I don't know. I feel like I haven't lost my time. I, I really haven't had the fucking energy to lose my temper for a pretty long time. About <laughs> <laughs> this stuff. Just getting, a plus of being exhausted. Just, just getting, just getting sanguine in my old age. What's awesome. a very unfocused episode. 
I Sometimes really they're the best. I really liked how unfocused it was. Yeah, unfocused, unprofessional, uninformed. Couldn't, yeah, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't yeah, we, we very much. I feel like we've we, we've occupied a narrative arc, Dan. Where we started out, um, started out being surly and unpleasant, and just talking about whatever it was that was happening, and then we got very interested in other people, and we scheduled a lot of other people, and we talked to them, and I really enjoyed those conversations because I learned something, and I didn't have to talk. And then more recently, I think as we've both gotten busier, the scheduling aspect of that has just gone completely to shit. <laughs> and there's still lots of interesting people in the world and things that are chased down. But uh, both of us, uh, I mean, look at my face. I, I, I look I look like a fun It's an fan. unmade bed. I, it is an unmade bed. It's <laughs> that's all. The, the crumpled sheets of skin making up my horrible <laughs> visage. And I know you take better care of yourself than me, but it's, I mean, sometimes you log in. I, I sometimes you log in and I see you and I go, "Oh, okay." He's got he's got an academic job and two kids written all over him now. Yeah, this is what yeah, yeah, age yeah. Looks like I bet his knees hurt too. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, though, I mean, this is I've, I'm very fond of our listeners, regardless of uh, the circumstances. So here's a here's a here's a question. For you, if you've got anyone, and you don't go around recommending yourself, nobody, nobody likes a self promoter. But if you've if you've got anyone who you think would be really interesting to be here, anyone like that, um, yeah, feel free to tell Dan to make time to shoot children. <laughs> Get in touch. All right. Email, uh, we always webs- we always like that. I mean, every now and now and that. I mean, it's it's nice to have uh, the, the, the the messages that we don't talk about a lot of the time are the ones that mean most to me. And people say, it's "Nice that you talked about this particular thing at this particular time." Uh, I've been eating shit recently, and this put it in perspective for me. Look, I love that. I love that shit. The, the whole idea yeah. that at some vague, buried level, we are actually useful. Is um, still a surprise. I know. It's a nice surprise, though. A nice surprise, obviously, yes. Yeah. Getting people, people, people mentioning us on, on podcasts to listen to. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Our um, a paper on podcasting has got a bit of attention, which is also good. Yeah, I haven't, I didn't follow up on that. We wrote it. Well, you wrote most of it, and then I complained a lot. <laughs> I feel like we managed to reestablish our old our old dynamic of you structuring things and me being a real pig about them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then e- eventually getting to a, a point where Come, we were, comes together in the end. We were both. It has twenty five citations. Who Not is bad, hey. citing this? People, oh. it's people talking about it's people talking about the same topic and the the potential of podcasts for education and stuff. It's 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 nice. Oh, this is so nice! I had no idea. Look at all these people having a good time reading stuff. Oh, thank you, all the people citing this paper. I've never looked into any of this. This is yeah, like finding great. out you have friends you don't know yet. Heaps I, of like niche like journals. That. Yeah, it's good. We're going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again 
soon with a new episode of Everything Hurts. Bye-bye.